I came to like a crossroad. Like, which one do I want to do? Do I want to continue with the Air Force and have a career and get paid and, you know, be able to look after my family and help my family out? Or do I take a risk, something that I have no guarantee that I'm going to be successful in, but it's something that I love to do? For everyone, there comes a time in life where you're at a crossroads and need to decide on which path to take. When it comes to choosing, the brain can help you weigh up the options by stacking up the pros and cons, but if there's no real clear answer, then that's where the heart comes in. Our guest this week was presented with some difficult paths to choose from at a very young age, but if you listen, you'll understand why he's all heart and how he is where he is at the ripe age of just 27. Hi everyone, it's Cynthia here and I'm so happy to bring you back to Australia and share the story of David Yunan. Born in Australia, David is a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, winning and placing in competitions all over the world including the Australian and State Championships, Pan Pacific Championships, World Abu Dhabi Pro and the European Open. And if that's not enough, David is now the owner of Mixed Martial Arts Gym, Legends, MMA and Fitness, right in the heart of Melbourne CBD. David speaks about the people who changed and influenced his life and got him to where he is today, at the top of his sport and a business owner. Support for this week's episode of the Assyrian Podcast is brought to you by Tony Kalagorakos and the Injury Lawyers of Illinois, New York. If you know anyone that has been in a serious accident, please reach out to Tony Kalagorakos. Tony has been recognized as a top 40 lawyer and a rising star by Super Lawyers Publication and has obtained multiple multi-million dollar awards. Tony can be reached at injuryrights.com or 847-982-9516. And now, without further ado, here's David Unit. David, welcome to the Assyrian Podcast. Thanks for having me. David, I want to start from the beginning. Can you tell me about your story of growing up Assyrian in Australia? Probably not like most. I uh, was actually born here. I was raised here when I was uh, super young, just growing in a household of, you know, one sibling. Having a brother, yeah? Yep. Being in Australia since I was, um, obviously, yeah, normal experience. Yep. Normal Australian experience, I should say. So and nothing too crazy. And what about the story of your family? Where did they come from? My dad uh, was born in uh, Iraq. My mum was born in Lebanon. Um, I think they both had two different paths. My dad was like... You know, born in the village sort of thing and grew up in Iraq, went to the army and all that stuff. Where well, my mum grew up in Lebanon, in Beirut, in the city, with city life and a whole different sort of feel. So yeah, it's a pretty uh, different combination, I would say. Yeah, and your mum's um, Assyrian. She's Assyrian-Lebanese, yeah. Yeah. So the language was the same. We grew up talking Assyrian in the household which is um, very, very common. Can you describe the area that you grew up in? Yeah, I grew up in Meadow Heights. Um, that's an area, I think, the most Assyrians back in the 90s where we're living a lot of Assyrians in that area it was uh, not the maybe not the best neighborhood but obviously you don't know any better you grew up there and it's like home being uh, a Syrian a lot of Assyrians living there you grew up with friends in the area that live there as well and school school tell me I, a bit about David at school oh wow I went to St. Mary's Coptic Orthodox College um, if my teachers are listening right now I'm sorry uh, for all the <laughs> trouble and all the heartache I think I caused I went to a really strict private school I think that was uh, an experience in itself not uh, being used to always being told what to do and stuff like that. I was a pretty naughty child. When we're, to- when we're talking naughty, are we, you know, back chat? Uh, all of the above. School? It, was, it, was, it was not my proudest moment. Um, <laughs> it, it was very hard to like wag school because they'll call your parents, but I was just uh, always, I was not really interested. I wasn't interested, like, I don't know, school never really done anything. I loved the sports side of school. I would sit in class, but then, you know, I would, uh, I would muck around a lot and make jokes and have too much fun. Yeah. which is a, 
I think not a good thing now well, that I look well, back. Well, you've apologised now, so yeah, hopefully they're listening hopefully. and we've all moved on. In terms of yourself, what were you interested in growing up? I lost to play soccer. Soccer was probably my favourite thing. I actually believed I was going to be a soccer player growing up. I, I played all the time. I actually played for a local club. I played uh, for Moreland United. It's a Syrian club that I, I'm still involved with today and um, with different things. But I played there when I was younger. Um, a lot of my friends played on the same team. Took soccer very, very seriously. And I would say I played at a decent level. I think I was around 15, 16. I hurt my knee. It wasn't a major injury. I just hurt my knee, but I wasn't able to play soccer. And I was... I was actually thinking about joining the Air Force or joining the military. So I decided to, I would need some sort of self-defense training before going into the military just to do something a little bit different. I'd played soccer my whole life. I'd never had any experience with uh, martial arts or any sort of combat experience. So I thought it would be nice to join um, a local boxing gym or an MMA gym or a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu gym. Yeah. And it was luckily for me that I had a friend of mine that did uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and sort of dragged me along to that. And he was part of the community as well which was cool so what did you know about about brazilian jiu-jitsu at that stage before you'd even started doing anything i what knew did, what I was knew, your impression of it honestly i had no faith in it i thought it didn't work i couldn't understand why two people were on the floor laying down i didn't think there was a form of fighting um when i thought of fighting i thought of punching and kicking i never understood that fighting could be uh, you could have that sort of level in fighting i just didn't understand and i wasn't really, even really interested in it i wasn't I came from a sporting background, so for me, I think a lot of kids that get into martial arts are kids that had maybe trouble when they were younger uh, for self-defense reasons, maybe got Do you bullied. Think you were in that no, I'm gonna be honest, I, I wasn't. You know, I, yeah. I was. I had a lot of friends at school. You know, I played soccer, like I said. Yeah. So for me, martial arts wasn't. It would never came to me as an option because I, ne- I never really got. I never really got picked on or bullied or anything like that. And through a friend of mine, he sort of dragged me along, and I remember we went on a soccer trip. It was a church soccer trip, right? And he came along with me. And I just remember him wrestling. He was 15, at, 14 at the time. He was wrestling with guys that were 30, maybe 80 kilos, 90 kilos, and he was choking them out. And it was the first experience I ever had. And I couldn't believe it. I thought it was actually set up. I thought like it was all a joke and they're just planning it. So I said, you know what? Let me have a wrestle with you. Let me feel what you're doing to these people. And he just smashed me. It was the first time in my life I felt helpless. Afterwards, I thought to and myself... This, just to ask, was this guy like quite small? No, he was small. He was about 60-something yeah. kilos. He was almost the same size as me. But he made me feel like you know, I was like a feather. <laughs> and I said to myself, wow, if this could be, if this could work for him, imagine what this could do for me. I, I don't really have the biggest punch and I'm not the strongest physically. So when I look at my friend and he uses leverage and technique to beat everybody that he's training with or rolling with at the time, I said, you know what? I'm interested in that. But I was just interested you know something that you say you're gonna do, but maybe you like you never actually do. This was jiu-jitsu for me at this stage. I thought about doing it, but then once the soccer camp finished, I went back to school. I had no really. I thought about it. like I thought about it here and there, but not really. I want to go do it. It was just something that I thought about it here and there, but it wasn't something that I was gonna pursue pursue at that point. And then what came next? I got a after school detention. Probably like eight nine months later. That I was probably yeah, around like I said sixteen. I got an after-school detention. I never used to do my after-school detentions. I used to always go home and then get suspended three days later, whatever, like for not doing them. I said one day, do you know what? I'm going to actually do this after-school detention. So I stayed back to about 4.30. Then I was going to catch the bus. And I just so happened to run into my friend from the church soccer camp like six months later or whatever, whatever time it was. And he said, man, what are you going to do now? I said, nothing. I'm going home. He said, man, just come jiu-jitsu. Come try it. He said, I know you liked it when you did it. Just, just come try one class. And he got inside my head and I said, you know what? I'm going to try it. So I went home, got my stuff and I went with him for so my... that very day after that. Very that very day. Yeah, detention. 
I that same day I actually went from the, having detention that from after school went straight to um, my house got my stuff and went to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for the first time for to do for the, to do a class. I met the instructor Nino Stammer at the time. He's still the instructor now, and the team was a Australian elite team, the team I'm part of today. I went in for my first class and I just got my ass kicked for like the whole class by girls, by guys, people smaller than me, bigger than me, whatever. But uh, I was just I was um, so I think excited. I never I haven't been that excited for something in a long time. You know, obviously I played soccer and stuff, but this was different. So you got your ass kicked. But you were still excited. I was because it's a very good sign. I, I was normally naturally very good at sport. I played tennis when I was younger. I played a bit of basketball. You know, I think I was very athletic when I was younger. You know, I did a lot of athletic things like long jump and high jump. So sport came, I think, a little bit easy to me. So when I went into a room and I, I got my ass kicked, I just was like, wow. Like I was excited. I'm like, I'm not good at this. And then I remember someone telling me years later that my coach said, give this kid a month and he's going to quit. But I was the sort of person that when I put my mind to something, I would never stop. Once I get stuck on something, I have to complete it. I have to finish it. Was it the fact that you weren't that good at it that made you? And I said, one day I'm going to come back and get the guys that beat me up here. You know, like the guys that were like tapping me out and stuff. I said, one day I'm going to get to, you know, I'm going to get there one day. But I think anyone that's ever done Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu before, you get hooked. And I got hooked. It, It really hooked me to the point where I was thinking about it. When I wasn't doing it, I wanted to do it. I didn't even, like, I wasn't thinking about school. I was just thinking about this. I want to get better at this. I just, like, really took to it. So you're in your last years of high school at this stage? Yeah, so I'm around 16, 17 now. I've started training jiu-jitsu. I'm enjoying it, but no way yet is it, uh, uh, it's not It's not something that I've pursued, like, full-time. Yep. It's just something I do. I'm young, and at the time, I was just going into the Air Force. I was going in as a reservist, so that's part-time. And then when I hit 18 years old, I wanted to go full-time. How did the Air Force... Where did the Air Force come from? It was a friend of mine. He was in the Air Force. He was an officer. And we were just talking options. And obviously, school for me wasn't the best option for me. I was uh, obviously not just getting in trouble and stuff. I just I didn't really find that I had a... I was going to waste time being in school. So I, I felt like I needed to have other options. I didn't really like the, the tradey sort of side of things. So I wasn't really interested in that. So like carpentry and yeah, plumbing. Yeah, plumbing, and, electrician, yeah. that sort of stuff. It wasn't really my thing. And then I looked at the military. I, I liked the fact that... I had a lot of discipline and my mom was super happy because I, I think I needed discipline at that time. Can you tell me a bit about, so your mom raised you? Yep. Can you tell me a bit about that and obviously going through all these decisions in your life, particularly later in high school? I, give mom, I gave my mom a lot of grief, you know, in terms of I was getting into trouble a lot. I was, wasn't sure what I wanted to do. My mom obviously worked super hard. She worked two, like she worked all day. She would come home. I always say two jobs because she worked for a restaurant came back home and then continued to work at home. So I always look at that like she had almost two jobs. Yeah. So I wouldn't make her life um, easy. I'd make it probably very hard. And was your brother the same? No, my brother was very quiet. He wouldn't get in trouble that much. Uh, he was just very quiet at school and he would just keep to himself and do his thing. But I was like, you know, I was always getting phone calls for home. My mom would have to come down to school. And luckily for me, uh, the, I would get into trouble. My mom would come down. The priest liked my mom a lot. He's a priest. And I was thinking, obviously, a priest loves forgiveness. So I was able to stay in the school and stuff like that. But I just, I just knew that it was like, it, my time was running out, you know, that I had to think of something for, for a future because I had my friends getting ready to think about what they wanted to do when they finished year 12. And I was at a point in like year 11, I'm like, what should I do? So the last year when I'm going into year 12, I decided to leave school. I'd so, I got accepted into the Air Force and I went off to do my training. So at the time I was doing the military, I was in the Air Force, but I was doing Jiu Jitsu as well. 
So the Air Force was part-time. So I was able to still stay at home, train. And when they when I had to go for the Friday, Saturday, Sunday, just say maybe Monday, I would go and then come back and train again. So I was juggling almost two things. I think when I got to, when I was around 18, I got my blue belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I, had, I came to like a crossroad. Like, which one do I want to do? Do I want to continue with the Air Force and have a career and get paid and, you know, be able to look after my family and help my family out? Or do I take a risk, something that I have no guarantee that I'm going to be successful in, but it's something that I love to do? I think coming from an Assyrian background, obviously, you don't really take that opportunity to sort of um, chase a dream. You do what's the right thing to do for like your family and for yourself in terms of career and money. And at the time, obviously, joining the Air Force would, uh, being in the Air Force would actually get me paid and I'll be earning money and doing jiu-jitsu will earn me nothing. So it was a regular paycheck. Regular paycheck. Versus passion yeah, and... Exactly. And but you don't know if it's going to pay dividends. You, you take a chance. And I, I thought to myself, I've got, like I said, two options. Do I choose to take money now? And, 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 and I liked the Air Force. I wasn't in love with the Air Force, but I liked it. it. It was a job, it was a career. And in my mind, there was nothing more like, what else would I do? What, what else would I do? You know, I left school young. This is a good opportunity for me to like rise up through the ranks. And it's just that, I think that average sort of expectation that you finish, you get a job and you work and that's your life. I wasn't happy with that. That, was, that wasn't enough for me. So mm-hmm. I decided to, you know, I spoke to my brother and I said, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave the Air Force and I'm going to train Jiu-Jitsu full time. My brother turned around and said, look, I'll support you as much as I can. We don't come from a really rich family or anything like that. So my brother said, I'll do my best and try to help you as much as you can. But you go out there and do your thing, man. If I can if I can help you with one thing in life, I hope it's this. I think you've seen the passion I had because, like I said, I would get myself to training and get myself home all the time. So I put a lot of hours in. And Was it the first thing that you felt like you perhaps like a com- you had a commitment to? Whereas school, it wasn't really... I had a commitment to other sports, but... This was different. I chose this. This was nothing that, like, my mom took, didn't. My mom used to take me to soccer, or you know, mom put me in tennis. This was something I chose, and then I left the air force to pursue a career in this. So I had no one to blame if I didn't if I didn't make it in it. I had no one to point the finger at. It was almost that if I fail, it's on me. But I chose this, and I have to I have to figure it out, and I have to make it work. So there's going to be days where it's going to take me a lot of time to get to training, catching two buses and a train, and getting home really really late. And I have to put that sacrifice in. And then my family started seeing that, that I was putting in that work, going to the gym really, really early, coming back really, really late. I continuously just kept at it. So it sounds like it was the first time where you had like some real self-discipline. Yeah, I, I think the, the good thing was being in the military made me grow up because I was with adults now. I wasn't just with kids at school or friends. It gave me a systematic approach to things, to, to have a regime, get up in the morning, do this, 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 get so much more out of my day. Because I, I, thought, I thought the morning was like 11, 12 o'clock. That was a morning for me. You know, not 6 or 5.30 a.m. for a lot of teenagers. Yeah, yeah so uh, I think the military gave me structure that I was able to implement inside um, jiu-jitsu and later on implement in terms of coaching. Yeah. I think structure is very important. A foundation, building a foundation is very important. And I felt like the military gave me that. So I decided to leave, do jiu-jitsu full-time. What does it mean when you say full-time? As in, I don't really, I don't work. I yeah. just train every day, twice a day. I was literally living off my brother and later on living like pretty much off my coach. You know, my coach was taking care of me and literally paying for all my meals. And he was, he was like an older brother to me and uh, he was taking care of me. I so, want to ask you more about that. So you mentioned Nino Stamo, your coach. Yeah. What does he mean to you and how much of an influence? Uh, I, he means the world to me. I think he was probably the, the biggest influence in my life, to be honest. I, th- I always say today without him, uh, nothing that I have is possible. I think he believed in me. But if you get to know Ninos, he actually has, he believes in a lot of people. And that's his gift to people. He's, he's able to install that, that 
that belief in somebody. He's like a, I say, a brother slash father figure for me. He guided me when I was younger and confused, kept me on a good track, which is training, focusing, dedicating, having goals and being able to just give me the platform to be able to train every day and take care of me. So I wasn't thinking about what I'm going to eat or, you know, what am I going to do on the weekend for my, like he was just always around things. He was always taking care of me and he would always do things like seminars for me and for me to be able to have money and whatever I needed, he was always there for me. So yeah, he was a coach, but I feel like the lessons he taught me off the mats, I think helped me a lot more than even the lessons he taught me on the mat. There came a time where you want to give it all away. Can you tell me a bit about that and what turned things around for you? Like I said, I, I was young. The, my family was um, going through a situation and it just wasn't the right time uh, for me. Um, obviously, I didn't have the funds to continue training. Obviously, it cost uh, a bit of money to continue training every month. And if you've got no money coming in, then it's very, very hard. I decided that I was going to quit. I was going to go find a job. And when I got a job, I was going to come back. But a lot of the times when you when you step away from something, you're not likely to come back to it. But in my mind, I said, you know what? I'll find a job somehow and then I'll come back. So I called my coach up at the time. And like I said, we weren't very, very close. We, we, I was just another student at the gym. I was training for about a year and a bit. And I called him up and I said, Nenos, I need to speak to you. Can I come in? And he said, you know what? I told him over the phone that I wanted to quit. And he said, you know what? Just come in. We'll talk about it face to face. So I went in there expecting that I had to maybe sign a few paper, like sign something and say that I'm leaving. So I came in, we sat down and he said, before you say anything, I just want to say a few things. So I, said, I, I was very quiet and he turned around and he said to me, I don't want you to pay anything. I want you to just train. Now me being like 17 years old, obviously very, very young and excited and all that. I just jumped up and I was like, oh, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to clean the gym up? I felt like that might be a way of me paying so I don't feel like I'm taking something for free. So I said, I'll clean your gym up and you know, I'll make sure it's tidy so that way you can save money. And, that, and that's my fee, paying back to the, to the club. So I really didn't want to quit. I was in love with Jiu-Jitsu at this point and I didn't want to quit. I really, really enjoyed it. And he said to me, no, no, I don't want you to clean. And in my head, I'm like, wow, what's this guy want? You know, like I'm not at this point in my life, I'm not really used to somebody giving me something for nothing. Just take it. It wasn't a... I wasn't accustomed to something like that. I was just in shock, actually. He turned around and he said to me, I just want you to train. I don't, I don't want anything from you. I just want you to train. He said, but I do want, actually, I do want one thing. I want you to remember this day because one day you're going to be a champion. Never forget this. I put my head down and, and I was shocked because I wasn't that good at jiu-jitsu yet. But I, I think he's seen something in me that I didn't see in myself. I said, no worries. You know, I shook his hand and I said, you know, I'm never going to let you down. I'm going to train super hard. And I started training obviously really hard. Ten years later, I've got my own gym with 200 students, a 10-time Australian champion, Pan Pacific champion. I was the first Australian to ever win the European Championships. I literally had done a lot, especially in terms of Australia at this point. There wasn't really someone like that in Australia. There's probably one other person that was winning and doing that sort of, having that sort of success. And I was probably the next. And I, I give all that to Ninos. People always ask me why I never joined another team. I had offers in America to join another big team and in Europe. Um, but especially in America and I never left because I never forgot that day because without him this wouldn't be possible today so yeah Ninos is very very uh, influential to me um, his kids are like uh, my brothers and sisters and we're super close till today it's been 11 years and we're, we're super close we talk every day I still ask him for advice and his opinion on, on certain situations and he's always willing to give it and I thank him a lot what's the best piece of advice that he's given to you he's given me a lot of advice over the years because I spent a lot of time with him probably the best piece of advice is put your heart into the gym, don't just make your gym a place where people just train at, make it something more. If you make it something more, your gym will grow up to be very, very successful because people get, if you treat people like business, they'll treat you like business. So when it's not efficient for them, or if it's not working for them, they'll toss it away. 
But if you make it something more, it doesn't matter what happens, they'll never leave. They'll be a part of your gym, they'll be part of your team, and then they don't become just your students, they become your friends and your family. So he taught me to sort of have that family atmosphere inside a gym, which I don't see at many places. To treat your students like family, to, to have a family inside a family, you know? And uh, I think it's one of the best things he taught me. And just to always stay humble, to represent, I think, myself in the best possible way, to be the best example I can be, and that all the glory should always go to God, and everything we do should be for the best, and to just stay dedicated and to keep giving, because in a lifetime, we should never stop giving. And that was one of his biggest things, is that you never get to a point where you stop giving. And even if you aren't doing the best, still do your part to sort of give back and help, and today I get to a situation where I'm able to sort of help out others and, and do more for the community and I'm all for it. I want to talk to you about your gym obviously and how that all came about. My gym came about, I was teaching at a few different places. So throughout the years I've taught at different places, gained the following through different gyms. I'm very thankful to all the gyms that gave me an opportunity to go teach at their school. But it's nothing like having your own. So a part of me wanted to start my own thing, right? To work for myself, to you know run a gym how I want to run it, not being sort of told what to do and just having that freedom. So I got to a certain point where I was teaching at my, the last gym I was teaching out, uh, teaching out of, and it just got to a point where I wanted to do my own thing. I just wasn't seeing eye to eye with the owner because he had a different intention and a different style that he wanted to sort of implement. I was lucky enough to have a really, uh, a close student of mine come to me and say to me, he's got a friend of his that wants to open up a UFC gym at the time. He said, once you speak to him, you guys can maybe do something together. So I met my business partner, his name's Raza, and we sat down together and he was like a financial guru. And he taught me the, the side of business. Now I learned a lot of things from my coach, but I, I, the business side of things, I never really, like I was never involved in that sort of sense. So I didn't really have an understanding of business. I didn't understand how it worked in terms of like charging people this much amount of money. This is what you should be making. This is what you should be charging and just day-to-day -day business activities. So sat down with this person. He started educating me on how to run a gym, not just how to teach a gym and how to teach students, but how to run an actual gym. And I said to him, man, I don't want to do it without you. He's such a smart guy and he's very successful in his career. He's like a financial planner at a really high level. He's made a lot of money doing that. And the opportunity just came about. We sat down. We He was in his lane running the business side things I was in my lane running the gym and doing the things I'm good at so you're in your like mid-20s at this stage yeah so I'm this is probably like I'm around 26 at the time yeah. I've been competing for years I've been teaching at so many different gyms and I eventually just wanted one place to call home legends came about th that way you know we decided I had an idea I was inspired by a few different gyms around the world I wanted to have my gym all white and with like black outline and keep it nice and simple I wanted something different in terms of when you walk in. I wanted to have that like New York City feel where you walk in, you're in the middle of like the city, you walk into this little elevator and then you go up and you're inside a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Academy. But that right was my... in the heart of the, the city. Yes, right in the Melbourne. heart of the city, exactly. So that was my aim. It's taken a lot of work, a lot of time. It's probably a reason why I haven't been as active in competition. I spent a lot of time working in my gym from doing admin to teaching classes to organizing other instructors and just running the gym as a whole. Yeah, it's been an exciting experience, I would say. It's been a year and a half now? It's about a year and a half, yeah. And how is it all going? It's been a crazy ride, I would say. You you, you think you know what you're going to expect and you actually don't. So many different things happen. If it wasn't for the support, I think, of family, friends and students, it's a sort of a hard thing to, to do. You have so many hurdles you have to sort of jump over and every day there's a new hurdle. So I found myself jumping over hurdles every single day, but I feel like now we're at a really po a positive point where the gym is growing very, very fast. 
and I'm really, really happy where it's at right now. What's next? To continue growing the school, I've got a lot of students and I've created local champions, state champions and national champions. My next goal as a coach is to create a world champion and I'm about six, seven days away from having that opportunity. I've got almost nine students competing in the World WW Pro something that I competed in a lot of times when I was a bit younger and I really feel like I've got a lot of students that can do really well there and I'm just excited. I'm excited for the fact that we could have our first world champion coming out of this team and obviously not having this gym for so long and having somebody that's a world champion in gym would be really, really cool. But also, I went to a certain level. I went to probably one of the highest levels but the one title I was never able to accomplish was a world championship and I'm hoping that I can coach my students to do one better than me and which is win that world title and I'm hoping next week they can. Awesome, so that's what's going to happen at Abu Dhabi. If yes. Does. Yeah. The, yeah, so if they win, they'll become a world champion, world Abu Dhabi pro champion, which is one of the biggest titles in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And yeah, it's super exciting. It's super exciting. It's an exciting time because you, you watch these students work so hard in the gym. And my role as a competitor has sort of diminished because my role as a coach has stepped up. No, you asked me before what was another piece of advice Nenos gave me or some good advice Nils gave me. And another one was, I think a coach, the biggest thing about a coach, they have to be selfless. You have to give to others. You have to put your students above yourself. And I think the biggest thing with an athlete is you have to be selfish. You have to put yourself above uh, above others. So when you try to balance these two things in one, it's very, very hard. So, you know, the last year and a half, I, I've, I've become a coach more so because I've decided to put my students above myself in teaching them and making sure they're doing the right things and they're, they're having success in what they do. I, I think... When the gym gets to a certain point, I'm able to focus back on myself. I'm still 27. I still feel like there's a lot of years of me to compete, but I'm growing something special here and I plan to open up more gyms and grow the team even more. You've got a very, very, very extensive list of championships and placing in a lot of competitions, including the Australian and State Championship, World Abu Dhabi Pro and European Championships. What's been the highlight for you out of this long, long list? To be honest, with the Abu Dhabi Pro, it was the trials in Australia. I was a brand bat at the time, um, and I won the trials to represent Australia in Abu Dhabi. I won a ticket to go there overseas. It was probably the first prize I'd ever won where they paid for me to fly up there and I represent my country, so that was pretty cool. The European Championship was probably the biggest in terms of title because I was the first person ever to do that. I can look back and um, say that I was the first one to ever do that. And funny enough, a year later, my teammate was the second person to do that. Um, and we trained together for 10, 11 years. So I'm so happy that me and him have been able to accomplish that. His name's Namrod Biso. He's a Syrian as well. And he teaches us the science of jiu-jitsu. I think the European Championship is probably the biggest for me. It changed because it was one of the biggest, it was the first biggest title I, 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 I'd won. But I think accomplishment that's, that you haven't mentioned was I came third in the Rio State Championships in Brazil as a black belt. It was the first time almost competing as a black belt. It was something I grew up watching through the years of jiu-jitsu, watching people fight in Rio de Janeiro. You know, the state championships in Brazil are really, really famous for having a lot of competitors. Um, to go there and fight in Brazil in the stadium and to be a black belt, which is the highest level, I think was amazing. Um, my first two fights, I lost my third fight by a very close decision, but I managed to finish third. Throughout the years, I'd watched some of my favorite grapplers win that competition or even come, you know, second or third. So for me to be in Brazil fighting, representing Australia, representing my Syrian community, being on the podium over there, just having that whole experience was amazing. I think I've had a lot of good highlights. I think competing in Japan, I've come second in Japan at the Asian Open. I think that was really cool. I went up to like the lightweight division, which is a lot heavier than what I actually am. And that was an awesome experience, you know. So I feel like the best part of competition wasn't just about competing, was going to different countries and experiencing the culture. You know, fighting in Brazil, fighting in Japan, fighting in America, fighting in Europe, just being able to experience that. It was a dream of mine to travel around the world and compete. And I'm lucky enough to be able to do that and to continue to do that today. 
And what does it mean to someone like your mum to see you? My mum started off like any other typical Assyrian. There's no future in this. Go get a degree, go work, go get a job and earn money, which I understood what she was saying. I just wanted to stick to it long enough so I can prove to her there is a future in it if I work hard. But now she's probably one of my biggest supporters. If I don't win a competition, she'll say, why didn't you win? What happened in the match? You weren't focused. You're maybe not eating right. And now she's become one of my biggest critics as well. So she's really involved in what I do. And she's always looking for the next competition for me to compete in or calls me up and talks about if I'm training hard, if I'm not training hard, what's going on? Are you focusing? Are you not focused? So things have changed over the years. She's a very big supporter of mine. Uh, she's very proud as well, you know? <laughs> I can imagine. Is she telling you what to eat? Yeah. Yes, I think um, the funniest thing is when Assyrian parents think that whatever they cook is healthy. When you have to cut weight, you know, I sometimes have to lose maybe seven or eight kilos before a competition. I can't be easy, uh, eating like a rizzo shorba and I can't be eating like, you know, uh, uh, some Assyrian dish because it's just, I can't have that. So just trying to explain to them um, what to eat that's healthy. I, I'm very lucky in terms of mom's actual chef. So she worked at a restaurant, she cooks a lot of different food. So if I tell her I want something really, really healthy, she's able to cook it. But at this point in time, I live on my own. So I eat out a lot, but I try to keep it very healthy. Where to next for your sporting career and how do you plan to get there? I know you've said, you said a lot of your focus has changed to your students, so coaching them. Yeah, so I think in terms of my career is to be looking to compete in maybe like July. Um, to, to do some competitions, to just go out there and be active again. Like I said, I'm still very young and I still feel like I've got a lot to give. I think that's going to be a, a big factor in just being healthy, being able to train. Also, my focus for the future is on my gym, on my school, uh, building students up, getting them to a good level and just maybe opening up more schools in a couple of years time and just growing. But I definitely like to compete sometime soon dream of mine is to compete with my students side by side with me where we can fight the same divisions that would be super awesome so one day i hope that's a that's the thing speaking of other assyrian champions one of our other guests was benil dariush can you tell us a bit about your relationship with him yeah so i met benny the last time he was here uh, not the last time actually probably the time before that he came down and you know we spoke a little bit on 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 Instagram and on Facebook and stuff like that. I was a big fan of his, obviously him being a Syrian and him being in the UFC. And me followed the UFC for a fair amount of years. And just watching the work that he put in and the stuff that he was doing for, not just in his career, but also the community stuff, the, the helping, the giving, the, the charity work that he did. He was such a, an amazing um, person and someone to really look up to. So I reached out when he was here and said, if you're free, we come teach a class. Back then it was at Australian Elite Team at Ninos's gym. And he said, you know what? Well, let's do it. And we organized a, like a small seminar. And I think we were, we were able to raise like almost $10,000 just from that seminar. And that sort of planted the seed for me and him. When I went over to America, I went past his house. We got a chance to chill out and talk. And we just got really close. And I said to him, the next time you come, you know, I want you to stay a little bit longer. And we started talking about, like, he started talking to me about the Shlama Foundation and about just everything that he was doing, and I was really excited. Can you tell me more about the Shlama Foundation? It's a Syrian group in the Middle East and all over the world that gets together and does fundraisers and supports all the money towards the Christian Assyrians in Iraq, building homes, provide, providing education, and providing, like, healthy uh, drinking water and aiding in Assyrians in the Middle East. I think that's very, very important, obviously, being a Syrian just giving people a chance. We take for granted 
the opportunities that we had. And when I sat down and spoke to Benil, I, I was born and raised in Australia, so I didn't really see the struggle overseas. But someone like Benil, who was uh, you know, born in Iran and witnessed the struggle and came across to America, gave me his opinion on things. And if we were at a platform where we we're able to sort of raise money and give back, I think we should. And that's why I say he's such a such an ambassador of our people because of any opportunity he gets, he looks to raise money to give back to our people, which I think is the most important thing. All the glory he gives is always to God and you always hear him talk about it. But also he gives a lot of things to charity and it puts a lot of time in. But yeah, we built a really close relationship. I look at him like my brother. He came and stayed with me just recently and we trained a lot together. But we, more importantly, we exchanged a lot of knowledge. You know, he, he taught me a lot of different things. I was able to give him some some just things that I, I do here in Australia. And I think we've, we've got a really close relationship and I think we're going to build on working something in the future together. And I'm really excited. Can you let us in on what that might be? Uh, not just yet. Okay. I, I feel like in, in time. But we're definitely going to be looking to build something in Australia and in America and just working together as being Assyrian athletes. There's another Assyrian kid in the UFC named Alex George. And he's just doing very, very well at the moment. And he's somebody else that we want to bring on board and do some wonderful works. And I'm sure he'll be on this podcast in the future. So I'm giving you a list of names. Yep, add him to the list. Fantastic. So any advice for any of our listeners who participate in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or sport otherwise? How can you take it to the next level and become the best at what you do? I think with anything that you do, you must put in hard work and you must have dedication. If you look at Tom Brady in the NFL, you look at LeBron James in the NBA, to be the best consistently, the one thing you see from these guys, which is the same, is their hard work and dedication. Now, it doesn't matter what sport you do, you, you idolize somebody. And if you idolize that someone, take away what they give and what they put in. And I honestly believe if you work hard, if you stay dedicated, you will make it. You will. And that's not dedicated for one year or two years. It means stay dedicated until you make it. It might take five, it might take 10. Nothing's guaranteed, but if you work super hard and you stay motivated, dedicated, and you're working super hard, then you're gonna make it. What legacy does David wanna leave? I think in terms of my career, I think I've accomplished a lot of things that I wanted to accomplish in terms of titles and stuff like that. Now it's just about building future champions, being a good role model for my students, being someone they're proud of, being someone they can look up to is probably the biggest thing. If in five years' time, people can speak about me in a way where I've influenced their life in some sort of way, giving jiu-jitsu as a gateway to making things better in their life, I'm super proud of that and super happy with that. David, thank you for coming on the Assyrian Podcast. Thanks for having me. Hey again, thanks for listening to this week's episode. We really appreciate it. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and review us wherever you're listening. We'd love to hear from you. Whether you're just dropping in to say hi or have someone to suggest for a future episode, head to assyrianpodcast.com to find out how you can connect with us. You can also find us on all the social media platforms. Thanks again and see you next week.